Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we can spend in your word. We ask now as we consider Revelation 19 and 20 that you would speak to us, peel back the curtain, show us the reality on earth as seen from heaven. Show us the spiritual reality around us. Show us the future. Show us the present. And Father, we ask this that we might be able to decide wisely and live as your people here and now in trust in the Lord Jesus and dependence upon you. Amen. Well, every now and then, there's a moment where the action replay ends up being crucial. I uh, think for a moment of, uh, of the cricket, right? It's okay if you're not into cricket, bear with me. But uh, the LBW leg before wicket, every now and then, it turns out that the action replay can show you something crucial that you hadn't seen before. Something that's necessary to be able to make the right decision. Right, I mean, imagine Steve Smith on 99, he goes for it and hits the pads. Was there a nick? Was there not? We show the replay from one angle, from the other angle, oh, it doesn't look like it. We go to hot spot and there it is. The tiniest, tiniest of little white spots. Enough to make the right decision. Or, uh, or the Super Bowl, if you're into American football, maybe there's even less people into that than cricket. Uh, the staff have a rather unusual uh, a rather unusual thing that we do every year. We get together and we watch the Super Bowl as a staff bonding day. I'm pretty sure none of us follow American football at any other time of the year or even care about the teams. But there you go, it's a little tradition we have. But there's occasions where they go for the touchdown and there's the question asked, were they out before they crossed the line? You get to see all the different replays, slow it down, go faster. Perhaps a slightly more closer to home example, the state of origin. Right, They've come over for the contested try, the team is celebrating, but was there a hand under the ball? Did someone hold it up? Or perhaps you've watched Extreme Knitting before and you were wondering, did she just drop that stitch? We've got to go to the action replay, let's get the extreme. Well, okay, maybe not. I'm making that one up. You think you've seen it all and then you get a glimpse of something a new angle that shows you something that is entirely crucial, that you need to know in order to make the right decision. Now, as we come to Revelation 19 and 20, through the book, we've been uh, using this analogy, this metaphor of the action replay to talk about what's been happening. Events that describe the age that we live in, these last days, as seen from lots of different angles, the bowls, the trumpets, the wrath of God being poured out, judgment falling upon the world, and God's people being saved. These visions that have shown John and God's people everything that they need to know in the midst of persecution, of trial, of temptation. Now today's action replay is a little bit like that crucial one, where all of a sudden we get to see a new detail that is necessary, that is essential if we are going to make the right decision. Now this sermon is going to be a little bit different to what's been happening so far. If you've been at church for the last little while, uh, you might have noticed the sermons have gone into a lot of detail. Now that has meant that occasionally they've gone a little bit long uh, and well, that, that's it's good to study the, the Word of God. But I recognise that in this current context, it might be a little bit easier to get distracted. Perhaps a long sermon is not the best. So what we're going to do today, we may do this again, but certainly for today we're going to do it. I'm just going to get straight to the point. I've got three things to tell you and we're going to go straight to those three things. There are going to be a lot of things in this chapter, a lot of different details and questions that you might have that we won't touch on now. 
But at 7 o'clock tonight, at 7 o'clock on Sunday when this is live streamed, we are going to, uh, I'm going to go live on the, on the, what are we going to call it, the cutting room floor. There you go. All the bits that got left that haven't been included in today. It'll be a live thing, uh, Q&A style. I'll ask questions and then I'll answer them. Uh, and if you want to interact and ask questions along the way, I'll do my best to answer them as well. Now this passage, it is detailed, it is complex, and it is controversial. You might have heard about millennialism and a whole bunch of other things that come up in it. We'll deal with a lot of them tonight. I want to get straight to the point, and I want to tell you three things. The first is this. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Now, if you remember last week, and if you missed that, you'll be able to get the recording of the sermon on our website. Last week, Babylon was destroyed. Babylon, the people against God, the nations set against God's king, Jesus, well, they didn't last long. They were completely destroyed. And in these chapters, we see that destruction continue as anybody who stands against God's king is immediately wiped out. We saw it in chapter 19 as we read of that rider on the white horse, the one who's out of whose mouth comes the sword, the one with the, the great big tattoos down the side, right? King of kings and Lord of lords. And the beast and the kings of the earth, we read in chapter 19, verse 19, they gather together to make war against the rider and nothing happens. There's not even a war. Verse 20, the beast was captured and with him the false prophet. And that's it. There's no competition. There's no war. There's nobody who can stand against Jesus. The beast, you might remember from earlier chapters, the one who was given Satan's authority, the one who led the world astray, who demanded sacrifice and killed those who wouldn't, in an instant, undone. The false prophet with him, the one who would speak words that are contrary to God's. It's not just the prophet, Satan himself, the dragon, if we look down into chapter 20, it's not even Jesus needs to deal with him. An angel comes down and binds him. Verse 2 in chapter 20, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed over him. We're going to see at the end of chapter 20 what happens as this temporary sealing is undone. Chapter 20 and verse 10, the devil who deceived was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Again, there's no contest. There's no competition. There is nothing and nobody, no individual, no power, no group, no organisation, no idea, No circumstances that can defeat Jesus. Jesus wins, always. I want you to remember that. Because there are days ahead where it may be hard to remember it. Where your circumstances might feel like Jesus is certainly not winning. But he does. I want you to feel safe in that knowledge. Knowing that Jesus is for you and that nothing can stop him. I want you to not panic. There's no need to fear what lies ahead, but rather instead, trust, trust. Times may well come when it will be easy to feel like God has lost control. I think there'll be days ahead where we will hear of wars and rumours of wars, where we will hear of riots and looting, 
where we will hear of pestilence and famine, where we will hear of death, perhaps even among those who are close to us. It will be easy to feel like evil has won. Where's where's the victory in these circumstances? No, remember, Jesus wins. I want to read for you from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 38 says this, I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever comes, Jesus wins. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Satan loses That kind of makes sense. If Jesus wins, Satan loses. See, Satan, we read in this chapter, is bound so that the nations can come to Christ. Do you remember what Satan's role, what his job, what it is that he wanted to do? We read it in chapter 12. And back in Revelation, if you come back to chapter 12 and verse 9, we read, the, we read these words. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. What does he do? Who leads the whole world astray. That's his desire. That's his aim. That's what he exerts his power for. And so we read in chapter 20 and verse 2, the angel sees the dragon, who is Satan, bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the abyss, locked him and sealed it over him. Why? To keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. Satan, what he wants above all else is to deceive with a very particular deception. Whatever deception it is that will keep you, that will keep me, that will keep the nations from coming to Christ, from coming to the Messiah. He is bound so that he can no longer deceive, so that the nations may come to the truth. It's a, it's a, Christianity is very, very unusual. See, we preach a Jewish king. That's what the word Messiah means. That's what Christ is. He is the Jewish king, the king of Israel. Now, hands up, and I can't see you, so I'm going to trust you doing it, and really I'm just doing this in the hopes that somebody is watching on a train or or, or a bus and you're going to put your hand up in the middle of it. Hands up if you are Jewish. I'm not. Now, I take it most of you aren't either. Most of those who would fill the pews regularly, we, we're not Jews. We, we are the nations. We are those who have come to Christ, who have not been deceived because Satan has been bound. You see, we've got to stop thinking for a moment there that the nations are those foreigners, that the nations are foreigners among us, and we have many. We have so many nationalities represented at church, and it is fantastic to be able to look around the room and see a Vietnamese lady and an African couple from, from Ghana, and to see those from India, from Sri Lanka, from Bangladesh, to have the Chinese sitting there, to have the South Americans who've come and joined us in so many different ways, to have people from Nepal and from Pakistan, to have those who've come from Europe, to have the nations are with us but we are the nations a church full of Aussies is a church full of the nations who have come 
because Satan loses. See, remember back in Revelation chapter 7, what is this picture in heaven that John saw? Revelation 7 and verse 9. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Ah, Satan's power. I mean, he's, he's thrashing. He's doing his best still. He commissioned the beasts in his stead to go and deceive, but to no avail. Today, around the world, There are more people who are praising the name of Jesus than any other name. There are more people worshipping the Lord God Almighty and his Saviour and his King than there are worshipping any other God. Jesus wins, Satan loses. And so I want you to remember that in the midst of, well it feels like everything changing, really nothing has changed. God is still God. God's work is still happening. The nations are still being saved. You and I included. I want you to feel thankful. Thankful that God would reach out to us who he made no promises to. He had no reason to bring us in other than his own love and kindness and goodness. I want you to feel fervent to join in his work, passionate, desiring to see the nations saved. Nothing's changed, friends. The gospel still saves. And so what I want you to do is to worship this king and invite the nations to join you. Jesus wins, Satan loses. See, the age we live in is an age in which judgment has been paused. God could have ended the world at Jesus' resurrection. That's it. It's been accomplished. Jesus paid for sin. The king is ascended and seated on the throne. What more is needed? But God has paused judgment, right? Satan has been put away for a thousand years that the nations might come in. Take some time this week to read through 2 Peter chapter 3. That's the second Peter chapter 3. It's a fantastic passage. I love the whole thing. But we read those crucial verses in them. God is not slow to keep his promises. A thousand years are like a day, a day like a thousand years. Why? God is being patient, not wanting any to perish, but to come to salvation and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the age that we live in, the age when the deceiver has been locked up, that the truth might go out a truth that we need because here's the third thing I want to tell you. The books are opened. I wonder what kind of book you would like to have your name in. There's all sorts of books out there. As a child, I'm sure many of us dreamt of having our name in the Guinness World Book of Records. Uh, I don't know, whatever you might have your name in there for, eating the most snails in an hour or doing the most jumps on a pogo sticker. Personally, I feel like the Guinness Book has has lost a little bit of its seriousness. It used to be some real records and now it's basically what you can be the most creative on. I was in it for a little while. 
uh, not my name, you wouldn't have found my name in there, but I was part of the world's the history, I guess, history's largest water ball, uh, water balloon fight. There you go. Probably in the days before we were slightly more environmentally conscious. Maybe you'd like to be in that kind of book. Maybe uh, you'd like to have your name written down in the history books for whatever it is that you become famous for. Or, or a biography, you might write your own. Um, sometimes biographies can't, can be a little bit uh, not so nice. Someone does a hatchet job on you. I don't know what sort of book you would like. There is one book in which every single human being's name will be written. One book. And it's not just your name that will be in it, but everything about you. Not everything in the sense of the comprehensive biography of, written and annotated by, everything in the sense of truly everything. Every action, every intention, every thought, everything. And see what happens when that book is opened. We're at the end of chapter 20. Verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Everybody resurrected. And the books were opened. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. It's a very big book and it's a very scary book because there's only one possible outcome of that judgment and that's condemnation. There's only one possible outcome from me, from you, being called to account for our entire lives. Even just in one day we would fail. And the condemnation is horrible. Verse 14, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, the same lake of fire that Satan and the beast and all the others are destined for. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, here's that crucial little action replay angle that changes everything. That gives you the exact piece of information you need to be able to make the right decision. That judgment is coming. Not just for the forces of evil, not just for Satan and his minions, not just for Babylon, the world powers arrayed against God, but for you and for me. The judgment is coming and the consequences of that judgment are horrific. We need to know that that is the case, but we also need to know the salvation. Did you notice there that little glimpse of the second book? Another book was opened, which is the book of life. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into it. There's another book, Jesus' book, written in his handwriting. No ink, but his blood. A book with a list of names. That's all. But that's enough. A list of names of those who belong to Jesus. For whom he says, this one is mine. David Luke Blaus. Paid for. Deeds done.
Death died, covered in Jesus' blood. Punishment already dealt with. Now see, that is the book that you need to have your name in. If you try and stand before the judgment by your own works, your own works will condemn you. That book will be opened with your deeds and all will be exposed. But if your name is in the book of life, the book that Jesus wrote, then all is paid for, all is done. Jesus' death was sufficient for you. And as we're going to see next week, it's not even just an escape from punishment, but it is also a grand and great and beautiful and powerful reward as we get to go into heaven and live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God reigning on high with him, sharing his glory, where the trials and the pains of this world will seem like a mist. See, sometimes you get to see from that little action replay the the hand under the ball, the hot spot, the snicko. Here we see the books are opened at the end. Is your name written in the book of life? Is your name one that Jesus has included? I mean, Jesus tells us whose names are there. Jesus tells it to us, right? All those who have held to the testimony of Jesus. That's what we've seen in Revelation. Those who have lived according to the word of God, which is trust him. It's that simple. Trust Jesus. It's not the church directory, okay? It's not if you come to church, if you if you watch this video, if you participate in all the things that are happening. It's not if you give money to charity or do the right thing. That's not going to get your name into the book of life. What will is if you trust Jesus. Live out his testimony. Today, now, trust him. Talk to him. Say sorry for your sin and for your rebellion. Ask him to forgive you and to give you a new start. And if your name is already in the book, if you already trust Jesus, you know what to do. You know what to do. Live for Jesus and then go and rescue the nations. Rescue them from the beast, from the dragon. Bring them to the side of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that they may share in this hope, certain and unbreakable, at a time when everything is changing and yet nothing is. Our God is still God. Jesus is still King. The gospel is still going out and our hope is sure and certain and eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your plan, in your kindness, in your mercy, You've included the nations in. Jesus wins and Satan loses and in that the deception is lifted that we might come and trust your son. Father, bless us in that. Bless us with peace, with hope, with comfort. Bless us with the removal of fear. Bless us with strength and courage to endure and to persevere. Bless us with steadfastness in the face of whatever may come. And Father, above all, bless us with the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.